we're looking at what happens to broken promises. In other words, what is the result? What are the consequences? So that's what we want to look at this, this morning. But let's have a word of prayer before we get started. Father, again, it's your word. It's your person. It's your message. And Father, it will be thy Holy Spirit that would need to make it very clear to each heart. And so I pray that you'd do that. And Lord, I pray that if I can be the vessel that you use to communicate your word to others, then I praise you for it. But Lord, I pray that if there is one without Christ today, they'll come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If there's one sitting in his auditorium who doesn't know that if they died this very day, that heaven or hell would be their home, I pray that today would be the day they come and get right with God, be saved, because you will save them if they'll come. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. In marriage, one is giving their solemn word. How many times have someone given a word and like that in marriage and, and it's been broken? And what happens? Well, there are consequences to that. For example, you make the promise uh, for better or worse, sickness and health, rich or poor, and then to love, honor, and cherish till death do us part, I will keep myself only unto thee. And so we make that promise. It's a strong promise. And it's a good promise to make. It's, it's the idea of what love should be and a marriage. But then someone breaks one of those. Maybe it's, it's not that idea of well, boy, it was for better. Instead, it ends up for worse, you know. And, and so you have problems there. Maybe somebody cheats in the wedding, uh, on the marriage. Maybe somebody is just lazy and uh, <laughs> they don't provide. The, some guy is just uh, doing nothing. But whatever it might be, there's the consequences of a lost trust. There's a hurt. And when someone, say, for example, cheats on the marriage, then there's a hurt that loses the trust. And that true love says, you know what? I messed up and I hurt someone that I love. And, and you want to do something about it. And, and you, you've inflicted this. It's come from you. And what they've suffered, you know it. Sometimes people are able to get that straight. Other times uh, that marriage ends up broken. And, and yet, it was given on a solemn word. Now, I'm not addressing uh, marriage and divorce today. Rather, I'm addressing the fact of giving your word because a relationship to Jesus Christ is based on our word to Him and His word to us. Jesus promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You're sitting here today because he's never left you nor forsaken you. You're able to go about this day because he's never left you nor forsaken you. But he does chasten and he does scourge those who are his own. We're told in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 through 8. He says, And ye 
have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Well, we are the children of God, but as many as received him, and you have to receive him to be a child of God, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so uh, we believe, we take him at his word, his name, his word is behind his name. And so we believe him, we receive him. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. But we become his child. We find also that he chastens those that are his own. So he says there in that verse, uh, he says, no chasten, uh, well, let me go back on that. And he just says, you've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint. In other words, don't quit when thou art rebuked of him. The Lord rebukes his children, just like you had children growing up. They had to have rebuke. They had to have reproof. You had to chasten them in perhaps many things. He says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. A lot of times the idea of chasteneth may be the idea of like when you'd put a child on, on restrictions. You're not going there. That's not for you now. I wanted to, but not now. And sometimes it, it, it is, uh, okay, go to your room. Now, that's not like it was 40 years ago. Go to your room, there's internet, there's uh, games, there's all these kind of things. And their kids are saying, please send me to the room. You know, but um, it's not quite the same uh, as it was then. But nonetheless, uh, there is chastening and scourgeth. Scourgeth means to flog with a whip. He scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And some can look back at life and see some of the bad things, the hard things that really brought them down, really hurt. And looking back, now you realize, you know what? The Lord was scourging me for things in my life that at the moment I didn't like it, but he did that in faithfulness. And then you say, he says, if ye, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with son. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Now this next part of the verse, but if ye be without chastisement, where of all are partakers, then are you bastards, illegitimate, not sons. In other words, you were never really saved. See, a lot of times people have a religious experience, but they don't get saved. Oh, it's so fun. It's so great. I was emotional. A lot of people were going forward. Man, I went forward, and they said, say this prayer. I said this prayer. Boy, I'm, that, that's it. No. Look, I, I have wedding rehearsals. People come down and say the exact words you're going to say the next day if they go through with the marriage. But they're not married when they walk out of here from a rehearsal. And you haven't given your heart to the Lord, and you don't walk out of that meeting with Him, with Him, go your own separate way. No, that wasn't the word that uh, He was looking for. He was looking for a word that actually means something. You gave your heart to Christ. And so, 
again, uh, we're looking at things that, uh, that he is saying about salvation here. God chastens, and he may even scourge us at times, but he does not divorce us. He keeps his word. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. All those in Corinth, he had to take some home early. But we fail. So often we fail at what we do for the Lord. And at that point, it becomes not a point of that we have to be resaved. No. Once you're saved, you're saved. I mean, if you lose salvation, then what in the world were you saved from? Well, I lost my salvation, and, but if I'd been died before then, then uh, I would have gone to heaven. But if I lose my salvation and I die, I won't go to heaven. Uh, does the Lord know when you're going to die? He knows the very second you're going to die and how you're going to die. Now, when he says he'd give you everlasting life, he didn't add unless you mess up or none of us in here would be saved. Okay? Uh, it's easier, easy, you know, I use the illustration of marriage. It's easier to get a holier-than-thou attitude to say, oh, that never happened to me. Well, it may not have ever happened to you, but you might be a whole lot worse off in some of the things that we do in our lives. Uh, so, he hasn't departed from you. He hasn't parted you from himself, but he does want your relationship with him to be one of holiness and righteousness, walking with him according to his will. And when you get away from the Lord as a Christian, he wants that restored more than you do. But you've got to come to him again, repenting and saying, Lord, I want to be right with you. Now, you say, why does the Lord chasten us? And why does he scourge? Why does these things happen? I think he's preparing you for eternity. He doesn't want you to be ashamed at his appearing. He don't want you to suffer loss. We're going to say more about that in just a few moments. So, he does that so that you'll have a good finish. You'll hear a well done. That's why he does it. So let me review our text real quickly here from Psalms chapter 1 as we review these first couple verses here. First of all, it says here, uh, when I find my place, it'll say it here still. I'll just go over here and read it here. It says, uh, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Okay. The counsel is the advice. You don't walk in the advice of the ungodly. Nor, sitteth in, uh, nor standeth in the way of sinners. In other words, well, hey, everybody's doing this. The culture's changed today. Hey, this is not like it was years ago. It's changed. Men are going to stand that way to attack the holiness and the righteousness and the biblical standard of the Word of God in the church. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You know, uh, one way to tell a scorner in the church, there are a bunch of legless there. Because they have standards, they'll start calling them legless. 
That person, mark it down, just mark it down right away. That person is a scorner. And the Lord says, don't sit in that seat they're sitting in. Just don't sit in that seat because that is a bad seat to sit in. Sit in. Now understand, this is talking about holiness. Do you realize that the word holy has the idea of separation in it? I mean, if you go way back into its uh, Hebrew study of when it was used in the Old Testament, and it's in the New Testament the same way, the idea that stands behind it is the idea of separation from something and separated to something. Separated from worldliness, separated to God. For example, in James chapter 4 and verse 4, we read this. Uh, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Now I want you to think about those two words real quick. Adulterers and adulteresses. Men or women, in other words. So, how can they make that accusation? They don't know that. Well, here's the idea. If you're saved, you're married to God. You're betrothed to Him. You'll be His bride at the day of the rapture, and we have that marriage feast in heaven. And so, when you think about that, an adulterer, he's not talking about a man cheating on his wife or a lady cheating on her husband. He's talking now about adulterers and adulteresses cheating on God. Not acknowledging Him in all our ways. Not walking with Him. Not living separated from this world and separated unto God. We're just not doing those things. And so, he said, again, adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? And that's what it says. These words were breathed out by the very Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Breathed it out, and James wrote them down. And he says there that uh, to be a friend of the world, friendship with the world, is talking about accepting and adopting worldly ways into your life, to your Christian life, to all areas of your life. Adapting to it so that the world won't reject you. And so, he says, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Worldliness in a Christian, you're saved. Worldliness in your life is enmity. That word means this simply, to be actively opposed to God in the way you live. You're opposed to His Word. You're opposed to His holiness. You're opposed to His standards, even though you're one of His. I mean, have you ever seen a child? And sometimes the little one, they say, don't get that candy before the uh, meal, and they'll sneak in there and get it. Okay, that's against the parents' rule. That's against what they told them. They told them not to get that candy for their own good. The child thinks, if I get that candy, it'll be good. Until he finds out the consequences. And so I'm just saying is that it's empty to be an actively opposed to the Lord, which means 
God sees that although you're one of his children, you're an enemy of God. Have you ever seen a rebellious child, whether it's a rebellious little one, teenager, or whatever? You ever seen one of those rebellious? They're always down to their parents. Young men, young ladies, let me say this to you. Young men, if you're dating a young lady and she's just always down on her parents, that's not one you want to hook up with. If you see a man, a young guy, ladies, that are that's always down on his parents, you don't want to hook up with that guy. If they haven't learned to respect their home, they won't respect you in time. When all the newness wears off, they will have no respect for you. So, again, the blessed man of God, the man that's going to be blessed of God, doesn't do those things. He's not worldly. Now, we're blessed of God in that, hey, I'm saved. But you're not happily content. And, oh, I'm happily content with the world. No, you're not. It changes. When the world changes, you change. So being happily content, no. You haven't reached there yet. And so, when a person is this way, what happens? Just like what we said, if the Lord chastens and he scourges, and he responds rightly to that, then that'll help to prevent you as being one of those that are saved so as by a fire and ashamed at his appearing. Now, let me just give you an example. May not be a good example, but it's an example. When my dad took that belt off and started wailing away, Every once in a while, he'd be saying, are you going to do that again? Are you going to do that again? Are you going to do that again? You know, oh, oh, no, oh, no. By the time he's done, you don't know what you did, but you're, you know that whatever it was, you're not going to do it again, okay? Now, you almost get to the point where you feel like, I've got to die to get better. Okay, so again, that, that scourging, I think of that. You know what? A parent's trying to keep you from making a mess of your life as you grow older. And many times they don't realize it until they're older what the parent was trying to prevent from happening into them. Now verse 2 shows us that a blessed of God man is not only what he doesn't do, but it's what he does do. But this is, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And whereas in verse 1, it was things that they don't do, here it is what they do do. Why? Because holiness, separation, is not just being separated from the world, but it's being separated unto God, given to Him, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And that's God's way. Holiness and Christianity shows whether or not our love is as strong as we try to profess it is for God. We may profess a strong love for God, but when holiness and Christianity, that is Christ-likeness, is not manifested in our lives, then we certainly are not really loving God as we ought to. And so... 
Again, don't look at it as, I don't do this and I don't do that. I remember years ago, the preachers would say this, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with the girls that do. Okay, and I always liked that as a kid. But nonetheless, it was a thing of what I don't do. But what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing for the Lord? Now, again, uh, it's not just what we don't do. Uh, a husband can say, I never broke my vow. A wife can say, I never broke my vow. I've never cheated on my husband. I never cheated on my wife. They can say that. But it's pretty lousy if they're not doing much for them either. They're not loving them as they ought to. They're not cherishing them as they ought to. Then it's kind of lousy in that they're not really fully into it as they ought to be. Now, a good Christian grows to know his Lord through being in the Word of God. In his law, he doth meditate day and night. Kind of gives you an idea of how often we should be in the Word of God. Some are satisfied with about three minutes in the morning if they have time. The Word of God should be a daily part of your life. You may read it that morning, but you have something to think on as you go throughout the day. Meditate. Ask God to teach to you. Ask God to help you to understand it. And make sure you continue to walk in, in it. Meditate. Allow him to work in you and through you in it. Ask him to direct your ways. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. But you've got to acknowledge him. Ask him to show you the paths and then walk therein. Be committed to that walk. In, in, when verses 1 and 2 are true in our daily life with commitment as we live our life for the Lord Jesus Christ, and give him our all, then we see what it does for us in verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth her fruit in his season. His leaf shall, <clears throat> shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Wow. Shall prosper? Now, <clears throat> A lot of people have the idea of prosperity as being worldly prosperity. <clears throat> they know that the person who may be extremely rich, but saved so as by fire, has not prospered. As saying, <clears throat> Apostle Paul, who suffered the loss of all things, and he had much. He was a well-to-do man. He lost it all. He said, for the knowledge of Christ Jesus, his Lord. And he counted all those riches. He counted all those good things that people call good things. He called all that prosperity dung. That I might win Christ. Wow. That's the attitude of a dedicated Christian. And so... He says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. If you're in Christ, you'll produce fruit. 
His life also shall not wither. His leaf, should I say, shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We've pointed out to live this life according to the word of God, we've got to have eternity set in our heart. In other words, I know in God's word, if I study it, I seek to know it, I apply it, allow the spirit of God to apply it, should I say, to my life, then I know, I know that I will bear fruit for him, I'll please him, and I'll get to know him all the more. You've got to have eternity set in your heart and seek God's word in that way. This is also, again, at the judgment seat of Christ. As 1 John 2.28 says, that you might have confidence and not be ashamed at his appearing. Christ took our judgment on sin. As a matter of fact, there are going to be people who go to hell, but Christ took their judgment. He took the judgment on sin for all men for all time. But if they don't receive him, then they're not saved, then they're going to go to hell when they could have been saved from it if they would have just received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they gave in to the deception of the devil. So, we are judged by the Word of God, by the way. A lot of people don't realize that, but we're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. And, and, and that's going to be different than the judgment that the lost go to. They're going to a white throne judgment. So Christ took our, yes, he took our payment for sin on the cross. It was judged in him. And the, Christ, and the outpoured wrath of God on the human spirit of Jesus Christ tells us what our sin is in God's sight. It even, when he saw my sin on his only begotten son, he did not change his attitude about sin. God hates sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, again with eternity in view, wherefore, and this is looking at the judgment seat of Christ, by the way, in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Wow. At his appearance, at his appearance, accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And by the way, a lot of times you'll hear preachers say the Bema seat, that's just the Greek word for judgment. But that's for the saved people. Anyone that's saved will be at the judgment seat of Christ. But it won't determine heaven or hell. They're going to heaven. It just determines reward. The person going to the white throne judgment are going to hell. It won't determine whether they're going to heaven or hell. They're going to the lake of fire. But it will determine that the punishment for some will be worse than it is for others. So with that thought in mind, Again, he will receive the, at the judgment seat of Christ that may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now think about that. He's not judging our sin. That's been judged, but he is judging our works. However, sin 
takes us from the works. Sin corrupts the works. The sin is paid for, but the reward is lost. Remember the story of the parable? Take from him that hath the one and give to him that hath the ten. It says, somebody said, well, Lord, he has ten. <laughs> That's the way it is. His work showed he doesn't even deserve the one. Saved. So as by fire. And so he suffers loss, and they'll count the loss at that time. And so again, uh, the rewards are lost. <sighs> Be careful. In verse 11 of that uh, same text, it says, Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. The terror of the Lord. We persuade men. He's not talking now about the terror on himself. Talk about the terror of the Lord on the lost. We persuade men. If we believe that there's a hell, let's have a compassion for people. Oh, we can have these drives, you know, we're going to help muscular dystrophy and we're going to help this thing and that thing and that. And those are worthy causes. But the greatest need right now is the salvation of each lost soul. He says, but we, uh, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust so are we made manifest in your conscience. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11 says this, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. I will tell you, I'll be the first to tell you, Central Baptist Church is not going to get anyone to heaven. Not one person will go to heaven by being a member of Central Baptist Church. Muslims, Methodists, Catholics, Assembly of God, Church of Christ, and on down the line, Hindus, whatever, there's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man, no man, no man, not one person will ever come to the Father. No man comes to the Father but by me. You will not get saved without Jesus Christ. He is your only hope and way. He says, now, if any man build upon this foundation, that is the foundation of Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare. That means that day it will reveal for the Christian. It will reveal for you as a Christian at the judgment seat of Christ what it actually is. 
because it shall be revealed by fire, he goes on to say, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is, and if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved so as by fire. You're not going to hell. But boy, are you going to be ashamed. Don't care for souls. The day is going to be when this public thing, because the judgment seat of Christ is a public thing. It's public. Everyone will know. That's why some are going to have confidence. Some are going to be ashamed. It's public. Ezekiel 3, 18 and 19. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. And thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wicked way, from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. I've heard people get upset. Oh, now, you're trying to say, I have blood in my hand if I don't witness. I don't believe that. God wouldn't do it. You know, don't, don't try to judge God. Don't say a good God wouldn't do that when he says he will. Who are you to say, oh, God doesn't mean that? God says what he means, and he means what he says. Blood. Because I believe that the white throne judgment will be surrounding there too to see them. And I can imagine that person that you could have had an effect on, that you could have at least given them a track, or tried to bring them to a church where they going to preach the gospel. Instead, you didn't do any of that. You didn't want to break your friendship with them. You didn't do a thing for that person. His blood. You see, the life is in the blood. If he'd been saved, that life would have been in eternity in heaven. That blood's on your hands. That guy's in hell. Yet if you give him the gospel, he doesn't repent to receive Christ as Savior. He says, then that's on him totally. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, that they that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever. It doesn't talk about how many get saved. When you're giving the gospel to somebody, you're turning them to righteousness. They make the decision. They've got a free will because they're made in God's image to decide to accept it or reject it. But you make that decision. Right today, you have a decision as well. If you're not sure if you died today, then heaven's your home. You can be saved. Because one day, you will stand before God. <clears throat> if you're not saved... The Bible says that in heaven, in Revelation 20, 11 through 15, that the books are going to be open. He's going to take up everybody, those that died that are in the bottom of the sea, even death and hell, every occupant of hell will be caught up. Everyone that died without Christ will be caught up. And they'll be before that white throne judgment. 
It's not going to determine if you go to heaven or hell. You're going to hell with that one because you never received Christ as your Savior. And what's going to happen is that for all those of eternity past that have lived ever since the creation of Adam, will hear out of the books about your life. There'll be no denying. There'll be no denying. It's recorded. And all will see it. And he says, and death, separation from God forever in the lake of fire, and hell, all the occupants, all the tortures, all of everything of hell. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Do you realize this? Lord said that if you'd receive him in Revelation that he would not blot out your name out of the book of life. You know what that tells me? That tells me that every person born in this world is born with their name in the book of life. If they die without receiving Christ as Savior, then they, this is a sure, unpardonable sin. If they die without receiving Christ as their Savior, they're going to go to hell. There's no salvation from that point. You're not there for a while and get out. Oh, no. That's it. And so, they had a chance. If they receive him, then their name stays in the book of life. But if you don't receive him, the moment you die, it's marked out. And your eternity is something that you'll live in, tormented forever and never able to escape it or cease to exist. You can blame God. You can say it's not fair. Anything else you want to say, but my friend, God's the one that had to say so. He's the one that's the creator. He's sovereign. He has a right to do whatever he wants with whatever is his, and all things are his. And if you don't receive him as your Lord and Savior, I can guarantee you by the word of God, not by my word, God's word, that hell is your destiny. Receive him now, and that doesn't need to happen. He'll save you. He'll cleanse you from sin. You say, you don't know what I've done. It might have been a harlot. It might have been uh, a drunkard. It might have been a gambler. It might have been so many other things, a drunkard, what have you, a drug addict. No matter what it was, he'll save you and he'll cleanse you if you'll come to him. He'll do it. Let's bow our heads, please.